is the Oil Country Podcast. Presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil Country Podcast. Getting back to the uh, normal routine here. Back from the dead, I am your host, John. And joining me back from Montreal, Quebec is Kyle. Before we bring him in, I do have one quick mention. The Twitter giveaway that our network is doing through us, it is a wicked ass hat in Oilers colors, is going to end in the next couple of days. So it's super easy. I think it's follow us and the network, and then you have to like tag two friends or something on it. But we don't have very many entries at all right now. So jump on that. I'm going to make sure I retweet that um, last night, I guess, for you guys listening on Twitter, obviously. But anyways, without further ado, Kyle, how are you doing, man? I'm fantastic, man. I, I mean, I love going on vacation and and more than anything, I love being back in Alberta and especially seeing that new building of Rogers Place, at least new to me uh, as it was my first time going. But uh, there's nothing like sleeping in your own bed after a vacation, right? Oh, so, man, like nothing like it. Yeah, so I, I'm happy. I'm I couldn't recharged. agree with you yeah. anymore. Yeah, exactly. I'm happy. I'm recharged. I'm I'm ready to go. And and I've also been completely entertained by some amazing Oilers hockey over the past week and a half here. Uh, yeah, so, dude. Yeah. I'm so stoked to actually get back in our like normal routine, but it was obviously a blast having you in Edmonton and, and your brother Kevin as well. Uh, we, I mean, we had a really good time, but I, I got to say before we get into this, I am too old like I'm just too old. I can't, I can't party like I used to, man. I was, I was a zombie for like half a week, like all through the weekend. I didn't feel myself until Tuesday. And that was like, it actually felt good to be back at work. Cause I was just so low. Yeah, like routine. Yeah. Blah. Like I just couldn't do it. It was like, I felt like I was malnourished cause I just drank so much and didn't like, it was nice to go to bed before six in the morning and actually like go to work and be productive, you know? So anyways, before you know, I, I want you, I I want to, you to mention, I wasn't a part of here, this. Man. We were pretty calm. We were tame. It was, this was you in Vegas that you're talking about the recovery. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, we behaved ourselves Saturday. Like yeah. we had a couple beers at the game as one does. And as well but, as Alley Cat yeah, before no, that like, too. But, I, yeah. And like props to you, you care. Yeah. And at Alley Cat, shout out to Michael again. That was awesome having us there. But speaking of, you absolutely carried us there. Like it, even without my voice having the issues, I was a shell of a human. <laughs> so props to you for carrying us through there. I, uh, I really appreciate you picking up my, my slack coming up today. We're obviously going to talk about those big back-to-back victories bouncing back after the, well, I guess the former road trip and then the homestand. And now we're back into another road trip, but, and then obviously those prog- pronger comments, excuse me on spit and chiclets talking about the Oh six cup run a little bit as well as his kind of departure and and thoughts there there's like a little bit of info i mean nothing groundbreaking new but we're gonna discuss that obviously but the last thing i'm gonna say and this is a genuine last thing before we get back into the actual hockey talk on that episode kyle did you hear it was closer to the start where biz nasty thought dry was coming out with his own cologne and then Whitney corrected him and was like, dude, he's from Cologne, Germany. He doesn't have his own Cologne. It was like the most, I, I, I lost it. It was the most embarrassing thing I think I've ever heard. I, I think that's like one of the most classic biz moments there's been. I, I especially love the like <laughs> multiple second delay and just 
fuck you like <laughs> like totally I totally got right? called out it's so funny dude yeah like, it's like dude, did you go, really go just go look up dry and see pens. cologne beside his name and think that he had a cologne in germany like <laughs> i don't know man like it was so dumbfounding and like i i mean i get a cologne like the city is obviously kind of a weird name but i'm, I'm gonna assume that's like where that word of like perfume and shit comes from but i mean see, let's not make us my yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay let's get into it everybody <laughs> So just a, a a couple notes here before we get into the discussion. Well, I mean, this is pretty much going to be the discussion, but we obviously had our salary cap projection episode that covered our butts while we were partying and on vacation last week. And obviously it was a little outdated because we hadn't made the trades at the deadline yet, but still some valuable information, at least I hope in there. But Rashog tweeted out today that the cap projection for next season could be between 84 to 88.2 million according to daily. So that that's a pretty huge jump. Like I think 88.2 is like 8% and like, it's typically like two and a half or 3%. Yeah. I I mean, we were talking that's about like, the, that's substantial. That's, that's a huge jump. And I, and what a year for it to happen too. If it, if it was to jump that much, right. For, for us, we kind of would love to spend that money on adding another top six winger probably. Right. So we could even use that to like lock up bear long-term. Like if he costs a little bit more money, like we don't need to get back into that discussion that we've had a million times, but it, it's one of those things. The The one thing I will say about it though, is if it goes to 88.2, I almost hope Holland stays away from the free agent market, like the big names, because that's just going to increase their value. Of course it is. Like yeah. Hall probably gets more than Panarin got last year and he's struggling in Arizona. Yeah, of course it's going to raise the cap floor, right? Or, or sorry, not the cap floor. The uh, the asking price for a free agent because everybody asks for percentage. For sure, we already know that, right? And 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 so yeah, you're going to be seeing like a thirteen, fourteen million dollar deal get thrown out there if that's what the cap is going to be at. I know it's scary. Like it's just going to be bargaining power for those agents and players, right? So not that I mean, I don't think Holland is going to sit on his hands, but. With the acquisitions that he made, I mean, they've looked pretty decent, like still kind of finding their way and it's early and they've got to come into a team that was kind of has been rolling the last two months too, right? So to be expected a little bit and obviously Mike Green getting hurt is really unfortunate, but it just gives them more money to, you know, maybe instead of being like, shit, we've got to give Athena CU just as a name thrown out there a two-year deal that walks him to UFA just to save money. Now maybe it's like, shit, we can pay that guy till he's like 30. Yeah, give him a four or five-year deal. With yeah. a little bit more money. Exactly. And same thing. And I mean, one of the things we haven't talked about, Kyle, and we're going to have to talk about this. We don't, we've got a kind of a jam-packed episode here, so we're not going to be able to do it now. But Nuge next summer. And by that, I mean like Well, exactly. Keep Nuge forever, right? Hashtag keep Nuge forever. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, if we have that cap space for him and we don't even have to question trading away another player just to fit him in then yeah, I want him on another like actually long-term deal. Like he can go six, seven years as far as I'm concerned on his next one. For sure. And that takes him to like 34, 35, exactly. but I'm right there yeah. with you. I mean, obviously for the right price, we're yeah, not suggesting yeah, yeah. pay him goddamn $15 million, but like, yeah, we're all on the same page here. But speaking of Nuge, he's like, I mean, he's a fan favorite, but the Nuge's huge thing isn't even good enough as of right now. Like Nuge has been enormous which I know is literally just another word for huge, but there's more letters, which makes it bigger. <laughs> it's a huger word. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a huger <laughs> word. You heard it here first. Um, but he's 
since January 1st, points per game, he's tied for fourth in the league. And Dry is first and Connor is second. Like, absolutely studly numbers there. I mean, I can't, I've never seen anything like that since I've been born as far as Oilers. That's like, you probably have to go back to 80 shit to find numbers like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the last time that that would ever happen too. And I mean, wouldn't it be insane? Like, there's an actual chance next year that we could have three 100-point players on yeah. our team. Like, I, I don't know how good of a chance. Like, I still don't know if Newt can quite get there. But with how good our power play is, and there's obviously no end in sight to that Nuge Yamo dry line. It maybe. I don't think that's like an out to lunch. It's a hot take. But I don't I, think I you're mean, out to it's lunch. A, it's a possibility. That's it. Yeah. It's a possibility. We've obviously got to talk about that Nashville game, and this is kind of leading us into that. But before we get into that, Kyle, do you think it's ridiculous to say that Dry could win the heart, Rocket Richard, Art Ross? And the Selkie? I mean, if he keeps up his goal pace, then yeah, the Rocket could definitely add to it. And so like the sorry, like the the Art Ross is a is a bona fide. So let's scratch scratch that one out. Like he's winning that thing. The heart, I think, has to be his. I think so too. Like has to be. he's getting an MVP chance down from the crowd but, with fifteen games left, right? Like Yeah. I mean, it's stupid what he's doing right now. Like I mean, yeah, I, I could absolutely see that happening. And that's that's yeah. the thing that hasn't been talked about. And I think I heard was it low tide talk about it? I don't know. Sorry. It was one of the TSN guys when I was driving up to work, but they were talking about like just the, the argument for dry in the heart. And it's like, how do you not give it to him? He's literally on one of the best power plays of all time. And he's the leading goal getter on that power play. He's probably going to crack 50, 50 and a hundred being goals as his points, which is just nuts for the second row, the second year in a row, which I know like the heart trophy doesn't matter what you did the year before, but that's stupid. That's getting back to like Mario Lemieux was the last one, which is, I mean, a name that freaking goes down in the record books, man. Like that's a drives a legend and he's like 24 years old. And then you add all of that together and he's one of our key penalty killers and his defensive game has taken a huge jump. So like, I'm not saying he's a silky favorite, but that dude better get some votes. And it's not just like, it's not just defensive dominance from a forward. It's two-way game from a forward. So offense, check, obviously. Check, check, check. But yeah, I don't know. I, re- I really hope he gets some votes. He's a major penalty killer. He's always back on the oh, check, yeah. right? Like he is, he is like a lazy skater, right? Like we call him out for that sometimes. And everybody does, not just us. But uh but his positioning is what makes him a smart defender, right? He still plays smart and he doesn't have to run all over the ice. It is. And I think like we we were talking about that over the weekend too, where it's like, I think he gets that lazy tag based off how he used to play more so than how he does. And I think a big chunk of it mm-hmm. is just how much he plays. And he's obviously a very high yeah. hockey IQ player. And he's just really just picking his spots. Like he's not a guy that's a fourth liner that just need, you know needs to go balls to the wall for nine minutes a night and that's his job right like his job is to be that cerebral line driver in every situation and if you're absolutely bagged with two minutes left in the game he can't bring that so like i think it's a kind of a like maybe that's a cop-out and i'm just making excuses for him but i feel like he's just being smart and like conserving his energy for the most part agreed we talked about that last week and i totally agree so with you. Yeah. i got one question too i think this is you that actually brought it up and I've started paying attention to it, but Dreisaitl 
how many opportunities he has to absolutely fucking light people up on the ice, like physically. And he holds back, yeah, trying not to use that energy. Well, I don't even think it's an energy thing. I think it's just like a, he's much more of, like, I'm not going to say soft, like, at all. I don't think he's a soft player because he's definitely a very, like, he can be a physically dominating player. But I think he's much more looking for that, like, sneaky stick lift and, like, poking a puck out of a lane to create an opportunity, right? Because it's like you lay a guy out on a hit there's a pretty good chance you're taking yourself out of the play there too, right? But remember when we made the playoffs in 17? I'm sure you do. Um, but when Connor had that like big hit, I think it was in the San Jose series, it was like open ice and you just clean somebody up. That's what I'm wondering. Like if Dry decides to be physical, he could be... Ugh. Oh, he'd murder people. He'd, he's an absolute unit, dude. He's bigger than pretty much everybody on our team. He's a like. monster. Yeah. Last stat I'll drop about Dry. He's also a point per game player now. On his career, first time after the Nashville game. And he maintained that in Dallas. But I think he's actually like two points more than games played he has. But don't quote me on that one. But anyways, let's let's jump into this Nashville game for just a couple minutes. I mean, there's not... Honestly, there's not that much to talk about. Because it's like, what, what, what takes... It's a barn burn. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was an absolute rout. And, like, it was one of those nights... As, well, I mean, obviously in the third period. Where it was like everything that our key players touch just turned to gold. Like, and I mean, I don't feel bad for him, but I almost did with Rene. Like some of those fucking goals were so soft. Yeah. I mean, he had a chance on a, a lot of them. He yeah. did. He was definitely out to lunch that game. That being said, like, I mean, and they also, I couldn't believe that they kept him until eight goals. Like, was it eight or seven? Was it eight? Fuck. I think it was eight. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. It was at least seven. I think you're right with eight too, man. Like, yeah, that that's some like Patrick Wash right there. Goddamn, man. Like, Seriously, you're like, I will never play for this team again. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it was, I mean, oh, what a fun game to watch, especially against a team like Nashville. Like, we've played better against them as of late, but a team that's really had our number the last like three or four years. And it, it felt pretty good to do that to them. And I mean, it's, it wasn't just dry. Like, I mean, he had four, one, and five. McDavid had one, four, and five. Nuge had three assists. Yams had a goal and an assist. Archibald had a goal and an assist. Cassian got that late goal. Ennis had an assist. Nurse had three. Bear had one. And Smith's just chilling on the other side, stopping 25 at 28. But we are kind of ignoring the 40 minutes that happened before that. Because it was actually a pretty decent game. Before that happened. Yeah, like it was tight. It was 3-3, right? It was a back and forth game. And uh, and then all of a sudden, the goddamn floodgates opened. Like, Well, and we were up 2 nothing in that, weren't we, too? And then they came back within like the first like two minutes of the second to score two quick mm-hmm. ones to tie it. And I, I love this, and I know it's going to seem like obvious. And it's not even hindsight bias. But I love the typical the time out there. Like, there, think of how many NHL games happen... And both coaches have their timeout in their pocket at the end of the game. They just like, it's not like when you look at like the NBA or the NFL, and I know those are both kind of used more to stop the clock and they have way more of them, but it kind of grinds my gears how NHL coaches are so like, so tentative to use their timeout. I love that call. I think that they'd never call it half the time, right? Like when they should be like, I would be using it like Tippett did a lot earlier in the game most times. Like more times than not, I guess, try to just refocus your team, right? It's a wake up call. It's kind of does the same effect as pulling your goalie, right? Just not as drastic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, that's such a hockey cliche move where it's like, even when it's not the goalie's fault, it's just like, oh, the boys don't have it tonight. Trying to wake up the team team up. Yeah. Yeah. Put the backup in. 
And like, you don't think to call a timeout first. Like, like if I go down like two nothing in the first period, in the first 10 minutes, I for sure call a timeout. And like, realistically, yeah, do you want to have it when there's a minute left and you're down a goal and you're, you have the goalie pulled? Sure. But hockey is such a free flowing game that like, how often do you even get that chance to take that time out there? Like, yeah, if there's a whistle or an icing, sure. But a lot of times, like a good chunk of that minute just ticks down. It's not like the NBA where you can just take a timeout on the fly. But maybe that's another rule change. Maybe if you have the puck, you should be able to take a timeout. I'm just joking. <laughs> I can like hear no, you. I can no, like feel your blood boiling no. from across the country right now. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're not in Edmonton with me anymore? <laughs> well, I mean, you were so hungover, you weren't saying stupid shit, so it was all right. Plus, I couldn't hear you with your <laughs> yeah, shitty voice. You. So yeah. that's so true, though. Oh man, I can't get back in that conversation. I, oh, I haven't felt that bad in a very, very long time. <laughs> can't do it. Sorry, I forgot to mention at the start, we are. In just a couple minutes here, we are going to join Michael from the Dallas Stars podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network to talk about that big Dallas overtime winner, like right away here, everybody. So stay tuned for that. Sorry for not mentioning that in the uh, in the intro there, but we are going to jump to that right now. Oh uh, no, I mean if you guys if if you guys just want to give a quick hey, just so they can guess who the voices are. <laughs> My voice isn't like all fucking lost and scratchy, so we might actually sound somewhat similar to that. Hey, it's John. How's everybody doing? <laughs> <laughs> Screw you. Um, yeah. Hello, Dallas fans. Hello, Dallas fans. This is fans. the Grim, Grim Reaper John, <laughs> the fan of the team that just kicked your ass last night. Yeah. Ouch, ouch. <laughs> I know. We got dominated, too. <laughs> Coming in hot. I know. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't even want to chirp. I just, it just popped into my head. No, it was, it was, uh, you guys dominated us. Sorry, Kyle. Go yeah. Ahead. Hi, it's Kyle. I'm a fan of the very respectful game that we had. <laughs> That's Dallas, a little Dallas fans don't hate me yet. No, I mean, I, uh, I went in there thinking it was going to be a competitive, um, defensive game, right? Like Dallas has one of the best defenses in the league right now. Edmonton, obviously with one of the most high flying offenses, it was, it was kind of that classic battle and who was going to win. Right. I, I, I thought it was an entertaining game. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely, it definitely had that, that, uh, unstoppable force meets immovable object feel to it for sure. And like, it really came down to at the end of the day, stats wise. Anyway, it came down to the power play and penalty kill. For yeah, both teams, yeah. Right? I just talked like, about that. And yeah. obviously, such mm-hmm. a def- such a defensive like playoff style game. That was this was one of the first games. You know, I don't know how many games Dallas has left, but I know Oilers have fifteen. I mean, obviously, give or take one for Dallas as well. But this was one of the first games of the year, other than maybe another one where I was like, yeah, it's starting to get that like playoff chippiness refs are putting the whistles away for the most part, which seemed to kind of stir up both sides of the fan bases. And it was really that, that like style of hockey we've been kind of missing. Yeah. The stars have really been recently playing that, that a lot more playoff style games. We just played a couple we just played Boston um, uh, like last, I think guess last week and, and the last couple of games have definitely had. So I think both teams are really starting to, get into playoff form. I think you're seeing teams that are in the middle of a playoff hunt, which the Oilers are for the first time in a while. Um, they're like, they're starting to get ready for that, that in April, which is exciting to see. 
I don't know if our team was, but our goalie seemed to be getting ready for playoff yeah. hockey anyways. <laughs> Which is funny because, I mean, who would, would you guys say that? Because I, I talked to uh, the Nation Dan way earlier in the season from Oilers Nation, and he had said at the time I asked him that Koskinen was still his starter. I, I'm interested if you guys now think that. this We're obviously 40 games spent since I last right. I, I bet you, 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 sorry, you said Nation Dan said that Koskinen was the starter in his opinion at that point? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we probably talked maybe 20 games in the season. At that Koskinen point, he would have starter. been looking like that, though, yeah. yeah. I, I, th- I bet you Nation Dan's changed his opinion, too. But, yeah, I mean, the, the 15 games left are going to tell it for me. But I think right now it's hard to take it away from Smith. I mean, he's been so stellar since the new year. And he's kind of following the same trajectory he did last year with Calgary, where you look at the season numbers and they weren't, you know, superb. But if you look at the back half and specifically that new year to the end of the playoffs, he was one of the best goalies in the league. And he he's that's what he's doing. So, I mean, I wouldn't say Koskinen's played terribly. Um, I feel like Kyle will probably agree with me on that one, though. It's not not a no, I mean, I, I think, still think they're a very good duo, right? Um, Koskinen For has sure. just had a little bit weaker goals go on him, sorry, in on him uh, since the new year, right? Like uh, Smith has just stolen it. That's it. But Koskinen still played amazing. Like obviously shown by last night, right? But uh, I think just in Vegas, he really only had what, like one or two kind of softies on him. But other than that, he played great. Like, I don't I don't think uh, Koskinen has been a concern. And we've already said going into this season too, right? Like goaltending was going to be the biggest issue going in. And I know we've mentioned it before, but it's our biggest strength right now. I'm not worried about either goalie really being in the net. I was a little interested to see with how, how Koskinen w- was going to be. I mean, um, uh, he, like you mentioned, he, he played in that, that game in Vegas. You guys got shut out. So obviously there's nothing really Koskinen could do there. Um, but I was interested to see what version of Koskinen the stars were going to get shooting at. And uh, luckily for you guys, you got the the dominant one. That was incredible. Yeah, it was. I mean, he was stupid good that night. And it is, it's tough with that inconsistency, but I think he's a guy too that it's kind of hard to find a rhythm for him, especially in this tandem. Like, I don't think he's a, a bonafide number one goalie that can play 60 70 games for you and I mean that type of goal he is dwindling in the NHL right now but once he gets in a rhythm similar to Smith like he can be a very good goaltender and and like you said we we had that goalie that night luckily for the Oilers but you know he is capable I guess is my point like he's definitely not a not a slouch when he's on his game Mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh one thing I noticed obviously big time in this one is I mean, and obviously we've been seeing that now with you guys, but McDavid and Drysdale aren't playing together anymore. And that's that's a scary thing to defend. It is. And it's to the delight of Oilers fans. Kyle, do you want to take that one? I mean, man, like we've been talking about that so yeah, much. Yeah, that's what we've been waiting for forever, right? Like uh, I know me and John especially, and, and not that it was not obvious, right? We wanted them split up for the longest time. They needed to run their own lines and Drysdale's proving obviously that he can do that um yeah it's it's a dynamic center punch that we have been waiting for for years to see and the team is finally starting to come together and i i think over the next year or two this team is going to become like a legitimate stanley cup contender every year that was, that was a hot take Kyle. i like it <laughs> i think dry has been yeah no i mean not not too hot it was like a like a warm take um i think the thing with dry is like he's really 
playing with a chip on his shoulder right now. And he, and he really has been at the, since the start of last season too. But I think he's really going out and saying that it's like, yeah, Connor is like arguably the best player in the world, but it's not like a number one and a number two situation in Edmonton. And he's obviously playing with higher end talent than Connor is right now. And you've seen Connor's numbers, although are still great. His production five on five isn't what it was obviously with dry but it is one of those things like Kyle said that it's something that Edmonton's been searching for for a long time. And dry dry really, you know, putting himself out there as that bonafide superstar. And I mean, Frick, the guy's probably going to walk away with some major hardware personally at the end of the year at the award show there. And, you know, I think you could make a legitimate argument that he might be the second best player in the world right now behind McDavid. And I know, you know, especially from Dallas Stars fans perspective listening that this is coming from a biased perspective as an Oilers fan and podcaster. But I, I think it's hard to make an argument against that, really. Um, and, and the biggest thing right now for Edmonton is trying to take the the rest of the pieces in the winger department and find players for Connor. And, you know, he's been playing with Ennis and Archibald and Cassian before he was suspended and a little bit of Athanasiu, who we acquired at the deadline. But I think that's the biggest thing is now they have options and it's trying to kind of just find two wingers with Connor that'll gel. Because if they if both those lines get going, like, I mean, I know you can't just win off just scoring, but this team's going to be very dangerous. And, and I mean, so I, I don't want to... I, we'll talk about McDavid, but I don't want to really leave dry saddle for a second. Cause I mean, the, the guy's got 108 points in 68 games, just to put that in, in perspective for a star's perspective, our leading scorer, Tyler Sagan has 50 points in like 63 games. So like a hundred, like, like I, I, I've never even seen McDavid score this fast. Like this is like, even I don't remember Kucherov last season being this good. Like it is, from just a pure points perspective, like mind blowing. It is. And I mean, a lot, a lot of points, like they have one of the best power plays of all time, but I mean, you need that to be a high point producer and you need that to win too. Right. So that's not discounting that whatsoever, but yeah, when you look at like, he's likely going to hit 50 goals again this year and have another 50 goal, 50 assist and a hundred plus points back to back seasons here. And like we mentioned earlier on our, on our episode, to go back to find a player like that, like you have to go back to Lemieux. It's like, it's really unprecedented in this era of players. And I think that's the unique thing about Dreisaitl is like, you know, you look at Connor and he has game changing, generational, potentially the f- best skating of all time. Anyone that's ever laced He's up super skates. erect when he does it too. <laughs> yeah, he is very erect. Aren't we and Drysdale doesn't really have like that thing that pushes him over the edge. He's a very good passer. He's a very good shooter. He can skate very well for a big guy. He's obviously got the strength. He's added the two-way game. I mean, the guy's playing on our penalty kill this year and has been a big reason why our penalty kill is an elite one at that as well. So, you know, like there's players that shoot the puck better than dry sidle or pass the puck. But I'm, I have a tough time finding a player. I'm not talking about just recently, like in my 20 some years of watching hockey, that's been able to do all those things the way dry sidle does. Like he is, he is the epitome of a complete player in today's NHL. 
Yeah, no, that, listen, I, we saw, the Stars saw a lot of him, and uh, I mean, obviously, your guys' penalty kill is quite good, but you're right, he is on that, that penalty kill. We saw him a lot. You guys killed off that one of the main reasons this game went the way it did was uh, special teams there. You guys managed to kill off. We had six attempts. We scored on one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Drysaddle was out there quite a bit, and I, I remember watching and seeing him out there, and, you know, you don't see a lot of teams throwing superstars out there on penalty kills, so I think that that's a big... Do you think... I mean, this might be hot takes, but, I mean, Selkie possibly for Drysaddle? <laughs> we were literally just talking about that in our intro into here. Yeah. I, I think he's got to be in the conversation. Yeah. Like, it's it's going to be a crime if he's not in the top three. I don't... I, as much as I'd like to see him win it, there's some really good two-way forwards and two-way centers in the league. So I'm not going to be like furious if he doesn't win it, but he definitely deserves the recognition. And again, from a bias perspective, I think he deserves it. Yeah. I mean, listen, we, the stars only held him to one point last night. So that's a win in my books. That's a win for sure. So one of the things I wanted to mention as far as dry settle as we kind of, we've obviously got to ask you about Dallas as well and kind of the game in general, but you're, is he your third pairing defenseman, Johns? Is that what it is? Yeah. What? He did a great... That was probably some of the best defending I've ever seen on Dreisaitl. Stepping up at the blue line aggressively. Because the one thing Dreisaitl... Like, he can be shifty as far as puck movement and stick He's got work. very good hands, yeah. He does, but he's not like a real... He's, I mean, he's a big dude. He's not an agile like Kucherov that's going to dangle and dance around you as far as skating goes. So he's a linear player. He's a north and south guy is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for, to see a defenseman like that be like, identify that and be able to just step up and be like, I'm just going to play you physically with clean checks. It was frustrating as an Oilers fan, but I couldn't help but be impressed. Like that was, that was great plays. I'm, I'm curious if he has kind of exposed one way to defend dry I'm curious to see if other teams are going to see that and try and play him that way too. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, I mean, it, first of all, Johns has played incredible. He was basically injured all of last season and he, he came back in the middle of December and basically didn't miss a step uh, when he came back. So it, he's been really good. And it really frustrates me because he's a third pairing defenseman right now. I think he easily, it, with a little bit more playing and like a little bit more experience under his belt, he could easily probably work his way up into maybe into the second pairing. Um but they, they, they rotate him out with Polak. So I get very frustrated when he's out and Polak is in. Um, that's a name I have not heard in a long yeah, time. So that, that's I, didn't even, I didn't even remember he was playing in the NHL still. Yeah, yeah so that's that's one of their third pairing rotations. Really? Oh, sometimes wow. it's Steven Johns is in, and sometimes in Roman, it's Roman Polak. And you see Johns play the way he did against Dreisaitl last night, and it, it, it's quite frustrating to then immediately see Polak for two games. Um but that being said, uh, he he did he played fantastic defense. But I think it's it's one of those things that's like he can you know stand him up all he want. I think that that can work, but eventually the talent's gonna gonna get around well, him. And that's what I was thinking. Sorry to jump in there is like if Dry sees that coming, I think it's a quick like he's such a good passer even on the backhand that that's a quick saucer if he can predict that. And get a two-on-one with Yamamoto and Dreisaitl coming, or uh, Yamamoto and Nuge coming into the zone. And then it was unfortunate to watch then John's, I mean, there's nothing he can Give do on that, that that last play there because he played such a good game. And he, I mean, it, it, it speaks a lot to him that we threw him out there on a, a penalty kill in overtime. And I mean, it's just an unfortunate bounce. You know, he just kind of fans on it. Alex Chieson, of all people, 
being the one to pot that. I don't, I'm sure a lot of and Dallas not fans passing are super it, right? familiar. Like dry was going yeah. down the way with him. Yeah. They go, go hard to the net and get a good shot away. And like, he's I, I like any Reddit thread, Twitter, anything with Oilers fans. I'm sure Facebook that cesspool was doing the same thing. Every single Oilers fan last night was screaming, why is Chase on out in overtime, <laughs> even on the power play? And then he's the guy that pockets it. So, so he, wa- he walked in on Hudobin, and I was like, oh, he's going he's gonna to shoot. Okay, okay. I actually would prefer that. I, I'll take a one-on-one Hudobin versus Chase on. I, to be honest, I probably would bet Hudobin most times. Yeah. Well, for sure, yeah. yeah. I'm with you. I'd, I'd be betting on Hudobin too. And then, he, and I mean, Drysaddle sitting right there, and the dude scored four goals the game before I was. So yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. And you know, Dry's like on the quest for 52. So he's probably like, I'm surprised he wasn't like, st- like stick tapping him. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I'm curious uh, there, Michael. We like, I, I tried to kind of take a step back. So you could see very visibly watching the game on TV. Dallas fans are not impressed with most of the refing and I'm, by no means am I saying that the Oilers didn't commit penalties that weren't called, but it seemed like it was fairly even frustrating wise. Like, what was your kind of take on the refing? Did you think it was absolutely trash and and screwed Dallas over, or do you think it was kind of just whistles are away playoff style? I definitely don't think it was whistles away playoff style because there was a lot of it, it was weird. They were, and they even said on the broadcast at one point, like they're not calling obvious penalties and then calling the iffy ones. So, I mean, they were consistently making bad calls. So, I mean, that's <laughs> consistency, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, I, so I, it, it was, it was frustrating, but then there were also some times where like, like Jamie Ben would, would get a little iffy and I'd be like, uh, okay, I'll take it. And there was like the big one that stands out to as you bring up Jamie Ben was that high stick coming across the middle like definitely accidental but as everyone knows a high stick's a high stick and I don't know how that that call isn't made was, at Ben all. especially has gotten a lot with the way this gotten a lot with gotten away with a lot wow um this year so uh, I try not to comment on refing just because it yeah. works in our favor <laughs> if I just and we've got Corey Perry on our team which is still weird so i know i thought you guys were the ducks out there practically man it was frustrating so the, there's some times where they'll zoom in on him and he's happy and and my pts you'll kick in and i'll be like oh oh wait wait wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you're like wait that's a good thing so so i just try yeah. not to honestly, there, there were definitely some missed calls both ways in that game but if I don't commenting on the refing and it works in our favor, I'm, you know, I'll take it. I thought the most atrocious one, again, fully admitting I'm biased, was that Larson penalty with like two minutes and 50 seconds left. And not so much, like it was a, I thought it was a bad call. There was probably worse calls in the game, but just the timing wise, where like, I don't think there had been a penalty in like 10 minutes. And then you call a high stick on a clean hit with like under three minutes to go in the game. It, it was mind blowing for me. And, and like every Oilers fan on social if, media. If, if the calls you're expecting them to make are going to be soft calls, then I mean, then they're doing their job being consistent calling things. So yeah, no, and, I'm with you. It's a fair point. Like <laughs> I'd rather than be like consistently good, but hey, if you're going to be bad, at least be consistently. Yeah, bad. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did have a, a couple or like one other Man, two other Dallas questions for you. How do you see, like, I see you guys are third in the central right now. 
How do you see that kind of shaking out with St. Louis and Colorado? I think they're clear like seven points is the gap there. But do you think Dallas has what it takes and they're going to hold on to that third spot or? Uh, I, I don't think anyone, any of the wild cards are anywhere close to, unless there's like a monumental collapse. I don't think any of the wild cards are anywhere close to getting, pushing us out of the third spot. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that things go monumentally well and, and, uh, maybe we can turn it on here. And with, um, the goaltending situation in Colorado sort of in the air right now, I think it's possible that the stars maybe just flip-flop for that second spot, but uh, shout out to Tom Franklin from the Tom Franklin from the Blue Notes podcast. I don't think anyone's catching uh, the St. Louis Blues for that top spot. It's interesting that you bring up the Colorado goaltending. I was the Leonard to Vegas trade. We were, Kyle and I were both on vacation right at the start of the trade deadline. So we didn't really, that was one unfortunate thing at the timing is we didn't really get a chance to talk about that a lot. But not that I think it was a bad trade for Vegas, but that's a trade when you look at Colorado, the assets they have and the cap space they have. Really curious why they didn't bring a goalie in like Vegas did. And honestly, like outbid Vegas for a it was It was actually interesting because the the episode I did before the trade deadline, I had uh, uh, by, uh, the Bayou Bender uh, on. Um, and we were, we were, him and his cousin were on, and we were all spitballing trade deadline ideas. And the one like big hot take that no one was talking about that we came up with was Leonard to Colorado. Similar wavelengths. Um, we, we thought that like not a, not, not enough people were, were talking about. And I was like, you know, that could be a real thing that could happen. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then they, they got Michael Hutchinson. And I was like, I don't think that's an upgrade. No. Um, so, so like I said, I think that, that if right, like it only takes a couple of bad goals to go past, you know, Francis or Hutchinson and Colorado's, you know, nervous. And I think that at, at this point, I think that one, two, and three in the central are going to stay the same, but I think that two and three will be bought out till the end between Colorado and Dallas for, you know, home ice and uh, matchups in the playoffs. That'll be it. That'll be actually a really interesting series. I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to that one, assuming, like you said, it does stay the same. And actually, sorry, I looked at the standings and yeah, you guys are eight ga- or eight points up on the Jets for fourth with two games in hand. So yeah, I, I'm with you there. I don't I don't see a wildcard team catching you on the heels there. Question about one of your players that I'm really interested in. Uh, he was your rookie last year, Miro Heiskanen, who was up for Calder nominations as well, right? How's he been looking this year? Like, does he look like he's developing into that stud defenseman for your team? Or he's he is our, the most consistent player on the team. Uh, he hasn't missed any time due to injury this season. He so he goes out there and he gives us you know twenty two to twenty six just incredible minutes every night. Like there is very rare that he is a bad night. Um, and, and sometimes you forget that he is, this is only his sophomore season because he goes out there and just plays with the poise and calmness of someone who's been in the league for, you know, six, seven, eight years. 
It's surprising that you don't hear about him more because I, I really have not heard anything mentioned about him this year. Um, like, I can't even think. I feel like as far as young defensemen, McCarr and Hughes the, are really yeah, I guess like they're kind taking of it taking over, up right? so much media. Yeah. yeah. Like, not to say that Heiskanen isn't having a good year in himself, but just the media craze are so distracted by those two. I mean, he's got, I mean, Heiskanen's got eight goals, 25 assists, 33 points as a sophomore defenseman. He's a plus yeah, 16. And- he's, you know, like, he's averaging like 23 minutes a night and i think that's why people don't talk about him he you know he's maybe not going to put up you know 16 goals as a defenseman but he could but he's just he's steady he's he's solid yeah Yeah. exactly and he's young too like he he's gonna develop man like we're spoiled honestly just league-wide with the amount of young defensemen and young forward talent right coming to this even young goaltenders man like this uh this game is just getting incredibly fast and talented at such a young age now yeah, yeah. It, it is nuts. And it's like you said, it's getting younger and younger. And it, it's interesting to see these guys like, you know, go away from the old way of thinking of like, oh, yeah, a defenseman needs like four years before they even get a look. And you see guys actually coming in at a young age, 18, 19, 20, and being like a top four guy right away. But I think the biggest thing that you said there, Michael, to me, as a guy that admittedly doesn't watch Dallas very often, all I've probably seen like three or four games including the ones against Edmonton this year, but the consistency with Heiskanen. And for, for a young defenseman, put in that role that he's in, I think that's like, I'll take a consistent guy that you can tell is doing the right things over a guy that's inconsistent and maybe puts up another 10 points over player A in that situation. Like, I'll take the consistent young defenseman 10 out of 10 times. He's just so... Because that's such a hard yeah. thing to... Mm-hmm. Like, you just see so many especially defensemen that like they have the ability and you're just waiting for them to take that step into that like rock solid top pairing guy and they never get there because they're just all over the place they play really good for five games and then they're they disappear for 15 yeah he's just he's such a smart player and i think you can i think that's like the biggest thing is like listen he's a phenomenal skater he can he can skate pucks out of dangerous zones but it's like the the good first pass out of the zone you know the the good first reversal to his defensive partner just the positioning to know where he's not the biggest guy so i think like sometimes there's definitely a few times where like i've seen him get bullied around a little bit but like for the most part like his stick is always where it needs to be if there's an opportunity to join the rush he's in it cuz he can skate and be there it's like he's just he's very smart and even with like the physicality side like give him a couple more summers of healthy training too and like he's still such a young guy he'll add weight to that frame yeah, or no, whatever too right he's, so he's going to win that's a exciting he's for you going guys. to win a norris like hands down that's exciting it's a, i i love watching like i mean obviously you love watching the the goal scoring youngsters too, but I always find it more impressive kind of when you see those like rock solid defensemen. A question that I ask everyone on the podcast and I haven't actually had you guys on my podcast yet. Oh yeah. I forgot you just jumped on ours that one time. Exactly. So I'm going to need, uh, is there a player between the two of you guys? Um, it, it can be, it's preferably from the Oilers, but I've had people give me answers from outside of their own team. Um, an underrated player that maybe doesn't get enough media attention or talk about, or maybe you guys just have like a unrealistic love for like a fourth line or something like that. Someone to watch out Kyle, for. You us. go first. Cause I want to pick the one you don't pick. <laughs> uh, well, I'm you know for who you I'm to just pick. go like completely off the board. I'm going to say <laughs> it's bottom six, but it's probably top four or sorry. Um, fourth line on like our ideal roster, right? Oh, you're going somewhere. But, else. uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say Shahan. Really? Underrated? Okay, right. 
underrated oh sorry like, um, like not getting enough attention i'm like, like i mean shayhan's having a yeah, good sorry year. sorry sorry my bad i i i, I over the underrated part um no no you can stay with riley shayhan like that should i say jujar kara hey no um <laughs> don't you dare uh gaten haas okay that is that that is a name He's going so off the board. What's the matter with you, dude? I think I think Hoss is underrated. I think that he, well, like I mean, sure, but like, is is he a guy that you think does like? I know Michael didn't specifically ask that, but when I look at like underrated guys, I think of guys that are like not talked about outside of that city that like deserve to be talked about. Like, do you think people in Pittsburgh should be like taking note of Gaetan Haas? Like, no disrespect to the guy, I like him. Sorry to like, I mean, you're going off our own roster. Like, our answer. roster's full of, like, just bottom six players, dude. Like, I don't know yeah, who you I, expect me to I'm play. I'm going like, like, much more mainstream. I thought you were going to that, that, That's a game. That's, that's, like, that's a name that I'm sure no one's heard of. So stick to it. I like it. <laughs> you're you're saying Bear is fucking unrated? Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, maybe sure. not talked about because of the same reason as Makar and... And, no, for uh, sure, and there, I don't but... think he is. But Michael, you're like you're asking for like fans that aren't Oilers fans, right? Yeah, yeah. Just like as like like a Dallas Stars fan doesn't watch it, watch, watch a lot of Oilers games, so like oh, okay, who's someone sorry, that yeah. they should think about? Like I honestly, I think Bear has surprised us surprised us so much this year and filled like a top four right hand D role. He can move the puck for a small guy. He's definitely like applied himself to the gym in the summer and put on weight and he's solid in his own zone. The only real issue that's like stopping him from, in my opinion, being a top pairing guy one day is his foot speed is still a little slow, but and the biggest thing for him, um, for any Dallas fans that check out an Oilers game, just watch how composed that guy is like under pressure. The, the quick turns he makes on the, when, when he's getting forechecked heavily through the neutral zone, Chris passes, um, He's not a guy that I think is going to be a superstar, like I said, but just a solid, solid guy that I think like around the NHL and outside of Edmonton, no one's really talking about him at all. All right. Sorry for shitting on your answer, Kyle. <laughs> I don't think it was a bad one. I I, I was just more surprised that you went Sorry, I, I thought you were going to go somewhere else. That's all I was yeah, saying. No, my bad. <laughs> No, listen, <laughs> no, not your bad. You're good. There's been, there's been, there's been some. Listen, I, I asked, wasn't gonna play D, say defense, dude. I'm oh, sorry. I thought we were talking to play fourth liner, third liner. Sorry. Kyle's but. already playing NHL 20. And I am, dude. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, listen. I asked the same question to the uh, one of the the guy uh, Richie from the Coyotes podcast uh, last week, and he said Toby Reader. So you're okay. Oh fuck off! <laughs> I thought you guys would like. Sorry, that. I hope you don't. I don't hope you don't, don't mind swearing. Uh, fuck off. Right. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna message Richie right now and be like, "What the fuck, man?" <laughs> I thought you guys were gonna kick out of that. You realize he scored no goals last year, right? Like zero. <laughs> That's like his underrated bay from the league. That's what he said. I mean, like maybe like three years ago, I could understand that answer, but he's holding on to that. Like they've got some good players in Arizona, man. I'm I'm talking to Richie about this one. <laughs> But uh, right. thank you very much, Michael. We, uh, we, yeah, we thanks for talking to us, Michael. Yeah. yeah, no, th- thank you guys. Thanks for coming on and uh, giving us some perspective. And who knows, maybe we, uh, maybe in a perfect universe, we'll meet in the uh, third round there. I, I think I, we would have flashbacks to the 90s, to be honest. But I'd, I'd take that. Hey, I'll take a third round series against Dallas. No problem. I feel like I sound really negative right now where I'm scared we'll lose. But hell, I'll take Dallas in the third round. No questions asked. 
Thanks again to Michael for jumping on with us and having a little collaboration about that Dallas Stars game. Big 2-1 victory for the Oilers. Don't think they were super, super deserving of that one, but Koskinen stood on his head and the, the boys came through when they uh, when they needed to in overtime. But um, Kyle had to go due to a time uh, commitment or the commitment at the same time here. But I'm just going to quickly run down that Chris Pronger situation on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, which is kind of weird. But... Um, so everybody knows kind of the story of obviously the 06 cup run for any new Oilers fans. I'll give you the very, very quick spark notes version. So the Oilers went obviously on a deep cup run to game seven of the 2006 Stanley cup final earlier that year, coming off the lockout right before that season started, the Oilers traded for Norris Hart winning legendary defenseman, Chris Pronger, which was a big piece of, of the Oilers making that run. He was our legitimate superstar. And shortly after the cup run, Chris Pronger demanded a trade. And he had signed a five-year extension less than 12 months before. So super weird situation. He's obviously still a very, very hated person at Edmonton. Anyone that was, you know, an Oilers fan at that time, that's going to be no news to you whatsoever. But so he was on the Spit and Chicklets podcast which Kyle and I are both a pretty big fan of. And, you know, first off, I felt pretty nostalgic to relive, you know, from his perspective, that 06 Cup run. That's a big highlight. I mean, I'd argue I was an Oilers fan before that, but that's probably what made me a diehard Oilers fan and, you know, helped get through that decade of darkness that followed. So it was pretty awesome and a little bit excruciatingly painful to hear him talk about that 06 run because they were so close. And, like, hearing it from the words of the guy that, you know, from a lot of our perspective, stabbed this organization in the city and the fan base in the back after. But one of the things he did reveal, I don't want to say reveal, one of the things he did say on the podcast, though, when he was asked about leaving Edmonton was one that he had requested the trade before they even made the playoff run. And I don't think that was actually like a big, big secret, but I think it kind of got lost in the whirlwind a little bit. Um, at the time with him demanding a trade, but that was actually before the run. So literally like less than six months after he signed a five-year deal here, which, you know, at the time wasn't as shitty of a thing to do, but here, if a player did that, it'd be absolutely insane, especially a star player at the top of his game at the age of 30 doing that. It, it would be absolutely nuts. But anyway, so he was asked about, you know, why, like what went down there? And he said, quote, a number of factors, family, which bit which biz had referenced before if that was an issue and then pronger said you know i was sold a bill of goods that wasn't accurate so one of the things for me i don't know if i fully bought into it with the rumors at the time was that chris pronger had an affair with a newscaster in edmonton who ended up getting pregnant and more or less his wife said it's edmonton or me and he demanded a trade so one of the, I, I don't, I never really fully, fully bought into it. Not that I think it's an outlandish thing that could have happened, but I just have to take it with a grain of salt, knowing how quickly this city and this, this hockey market can grab something that's like 10% true and absolutely run with it as fact. So obviously I'm not, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not a part of that situation. So maybe that did happen, but I think it's been fairly well documented that his wife, who is a socialite from St. Louis, 
very high taste, high class was not stoked on being in Edmonton. And, and that's been, I mean, more or less confirmed that that was a big factor. So one of the things that confused me was Pronger saying I was sold a bill of goods that wasn't accurate. Now I'm thinking like at the time you sign this deal with a new team and they go on a cup run. They bought at the deadline and before Pronger requested a trade, they didn't ship anybody out that could have been Pronger's best friend. Like nothing they could have guaranteed as far as player personnel. They didn't really make any changes in the front office. So like that can't be the bill of goods he was sold that wasn't accurate. So then I looked and another thing he mentioned on the podcast was it was a mistake signing the five-year deal and he cited he had knee soreness at the time so he kind of took the guaranteed money, which is, I mean, pretty shitty to back out on. But this is coming off the lockout and right before that, players renegotiated for money, term, whatever, fairly often. So even though he should have been smarter with the new CBA, it's not as outlandish of a thought for him to go back on it. I'm not trying to defend him, but it's not as outlandish as it would be in today's game. But he did, he kind of dodged Biz's question, what he meant by the bill of rights. He did say, I could have signed for more and it would have gave me free agency. So what he's referencing there is when the CBA kicked in, there was kind of rumors that the UFA status was going to be awarded at 30 and when the lockout came out, that wasn't the case. So he came out at 30 as an RFA, which seems absolutely crazy in today's NHL. So that was, he kind of, like from his perspective, I can understand how he kind of felt boxed in where like you get traded to Edmonton. That being said, he could have held out, like he didn't have to sign the five years. So I, I have no sympathy for him whatsoever. Kind of just trying to explain the situation for those that haven't heard the podcast. But one of the things that kind of got me going when he started talking about the CBA is like, I was wondering like, okay, Maybe the bill of goods he was sold from the Oilers organization was that he wouldn't have been a UFA the following summer. So it makes sense, you know, just just sign the five-year deal, get the money. You're not going to be an RFA anyways, where he's new to the team. He, he could have held them out to lunch the very first year and said, hey, I'm only going to sign a one-year deal. I want to be a UFA next summer. But the thing with that is that wouldn't be the bill of goods the team sold him because the CBA was already signed at that point. So that's his agent or his manager. And I don't know why the team would lie to him about that. Like he, he, he would have known if he signed a one year deal, he would have been a UFA the next summer at 31. So I, that's one of the things I have a really tough time with the bill of goods. And this is obviously a ton of speculation, what I'm about to say, but I almost wonder if it, that was back connected to his wife where the bill of goods they were sold was, the lifestyle she was going to experience, maybe the culture around the other wives, you know, what she was going to experience in the city of Edmonton. Now, I'm not excusing this whatsoever because let's just run with that for a second and say that is the case. Like, that doesn't make it okay to just back out, you know, nine months after signing a five-year deal and going on a cup run. I'm still not a big fan of Chris Pronger and, you know, really can't say much more else than that. But it was interesting and honestly, it was a really good episode. Like I said, it was kind of nostalgic, but I wanted to kind of bring that up to you guys for the listeners. And I, I'm genuinely curious if anyone has a uh, 
idea of what that bill of goods that he was sold that wasn't accurate from the Oilers organization. I'm all ears. I'm all, I want to hear the conspiracy theories and the, the speculation. But anyways, without further ado, I know this has gone a little bit long. I'm going to jump off here. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week and weekend, and we will talk to you guys on Monday. (laughs) 